Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Deep from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Six in the bed, and the little one said, Roll over, roll over. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum. It isn't ever race here, it is Alicia sometimes putting on her big girl boots and stepping in because Emma's out with a groin. She's on the bench, and we wish her well, but uh, we'll try and power her along anyway. And opposite me, this is so weird being in this uh, seat, is my sisters in crime, Felicity Race. How are you? I'm Jim free and happy to be here. <laughs> You're not going viral? No, I'm not going viral like she is. Kate. Blessed be the day. <laughs> Blessed be the fruit. All of that. Lucy Race. I'm pumped. You're pumped. <laughs> oh, yay! Someone's pumped for me. Nicole Hayes. <laughs> you couldn't remember I forgot, right it. I forgot your name. I just can't believe they let us in without the grown-ups. But anyway, here we go. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it feels a bit like that. The toddler's in charge. Oh, my God. So such a week in football, such a heartbreak for some of us on the losing side. But let's start with Omen Watch, Kate, as we always do. Yeah. Well, look, what I want to say, first of all, is that it's absolutely jam-packed this week. So I know Felicity's got an Omen that she wants to talk a little bit about as well. So if you're not a fan of Omen Watch, now's the time to go to the toilet or make yourself a cup of tea. They just Got here, Kate. They like literally. They just, just, just turned on. They the just podcast. put on their boots. Yeah, so. well, maybe they want to leave. So okay, there's so much to say about Omen Watch this week. But the first thing I want to do is just pick up on what I spoke about last week when I talked about those water bottles that have the team name on them because this generated a lot of excitement and interest and a lot of buzz out there. Well, there was maybe one or two people who mentioned it to me. I, I think the first thing I want to say is that now, with the benefit of hindsight, I remember or I realise now that. When I went to the service station last week and I saw that fridge packed full of Tiger's water bottles, this was actually an omen for the game where there would be Tiger's everywhere and not a hawk in sight. That's certainly what that game felt like. Absolute stinker from Hawthorne. (laughs) But big congrats to Richmond. Speaking of Richmond... Peggy O'Neill, who's a friend of the pod and the president of the Richmond Football Club, sent me a text message after the game with a photograph of one of those bottles (laughs) saying (laughs) Tigers on it. And incredibly, she said, I've never had this water before and I had it today and the Tigers won. So I don't know whether she was trash-talking me or... That's trash-talk. Either that or she stalked you to that service station (laughs) going, I need some of that water. That's right. And the other thing I want to do just on the water is give a little shout-out to um, a friend of the pod, Lauren, who said to me that she thought we were getting this whole omen thing wrong. She thinks that what you need to do is acquire that water uh, of the opposite team and then tip it out before the game. (laughs) And kind of like some voodoo shit. So like (laughs) unholy water. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So that's that. But anyway, more importantly, I have very big news on the Omen Watch front. So strap yourselves in, as Ross (laughs) Lyon would say, because there's a huge story and I have to thank my beloved, Doug, who, who brought this to my attention. So as our listeners will know, all year I've been predicting that this is end of days and that 2017 will be the last year on earth and that Richmond's going to win the flag and and so on. And all signs point to this, I think. We agree? (laughs) No, but anyway. (laughs) Maybe. I'm I'm still hopeful for next year. (laughs) For the purposes of this argument, I will agree with you. Okay, just go with me. So Doug sent me an article from The Independent this morning 
uh, which was talking about end of days, actually. There's something which, uh, I don't know if you've any, any of you have heard of this, but there's a thing called the Nibiru Apocalypse Movement. <laughs> now, Incredibly, this, I have not heard of that. <laughs> now, this is a movement of people who believe that the apocalypse is nigh. Yeah. And this is their view. They say that there is a secret planet that has not been detected by NASA called Nibiru. I'm sorry if I... Hang on There's a, a lot of secret if planets. If it's a secret... <laughs> Why does it have a name? Oh, they know. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. That's Look, a very just good point. go with me, okay? okay. Just right. go with no, me. Don't, let, don't get sidetracked on Astronomy the details. Astronomy says no, but go on. <laughs> Felicity, just sidetracked on the details. But what the apocalypse movement tells us is that there is a great American eclipse that's going to begin on the 21st of August. Remember that date because I'm going to come back to it. And that on the 21st of August, the earth will be plunged into darkness. There will be a dark sunrise. And there's some stuff in the Bible about this too, but I found it a little bit too confusing. Sorry any kids listening to this, <laughs> Oh, yes, way. sorry. I should have given that warning. Yeah, cover there is. But anyway, the great American eclipse begins that day and then there'll be a period of about a month where the earth is plunged into darkness and then on the 23rd of September the Armageddon will begin and this is a great sign from heaven which is uh, predicted in the book of Revelations will be unleashed and then as I mentioned earlier the secret planet called Nibiru will collide <laughs> with and destroy <laughs> Earth. This is just perfectly about the footy feasible. show coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. So you heard that there are two key dates mentioned um, by the, the believers in the Nibiru apocalypse movement. The 21st of August which is the eclipse and the 23rd of September. So I looked up both of these dates. The 21st of August is the beginning of the final round of the AFL season mm. and the 23rd of September is, of course, preliminary final weekend where I now predict for sure that Richmond will win through to the grand final. <gasps> Has this got oh anything to do with the fire and fury of our orange friend overseas? <laughs> Maybe that's what he was talking Maybe about. Maybe he's the eclipse. He's going to walk in front of the sun. <laughs> Now, Felicity, you've got some maths to do with the finals. Oh, okay. Up front, two things in this world scare me. One of them's maths and one's putting my actual footy knowledge on the line. So <laughs> this is a great coming together of those things. But I, I sort of got to that point where I went, look, who's actually likely to make it and who's not? And I, I come up with a prediction of who I think is going to be in the top Ooh, eight. This is brave. Top eight. You're going to go all eight. I'm going to go all eight. Okay. In no particular order, though, So because oh, that's gutless. where the genius would be. But. <laughs> But in that, what I realised is that there is a pivotal match this weekend, which I think ties into Omen Watch. The demons and the saints taking each other on. And that's going to have huge outcomes for for how things end up. And I I love that idea of demons and saints battling it out under the... (laughs) You know, the, the shadow of the planet of what are they called? Nibiru. Nibiru. <laughs> the secret planet. Anyway, okay, so here I go, putting myself on the line. I am predicting, because that's where the genius is, according to Kate, doing yes. it ahead of time, yes. that the final eight will be Adelaide, GWS, Richmond, Geelong, Port, Sydney, Western Bulldogs, and Melbourne. <gasps> Did but you not say yes? No, no, no. Pretty no, I didn't, and I, the, I feel safe saying that because I know my children don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so at home, listen. I just keep nodding, going, "Sure, absolutely." Look, they, the, Essendon could make it, but a lot has to go right for them. I mean, their next three games. Who do they play? The Crows, Gold Coast, and Frio. I'm not sure they're going to beat the Crows, especially without Zach Merritt now being rubbed mm. out for a couple of yeah, weeks. He would one. have been helpful. Mm. Um, and they had a big injury on the weekend as well. Yeah. So I'm trying to work out what maths you did. 
And I looked up. Look, was I'll, it, did I'll show you a dart and a dart no, board? I, I'll show you it later. <laughs> she just used the ladder predictor on her website. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> Hang on a sec. Do you mean someone's already done this and I didn't have to actually get a pen and paper out? <laughs> oh, bless you. Anyway, I just thought, you know, a year and a half in, it would be nice to actually pretend to know something. Yeah. So well, if this now. is all wrong, please don't play this back. I want to <laughs> do, do a Venn diagram. <laughs> I really do. You know what? I'm going to get you all to think about who's going to win the grand final this year. We'll talk about it in a bit. But on the weekend, we had a wonderful kick and coffee. The Outer Sanctum met up with many beautiful fans and other podcasters, which was exciting to see. So many people came to Princess Park. Felicity, what did you think? Oh, I mean, such a thrill for us, I guess, to be out on the ground for a start, you know, having experienced what Princess Park did for that AFLW, <laughs> uh, it was nice to be part of it. I guess I just want to do a big shout out to the um, beautiful girls from the Box Hill Hawks um, yes. team who came along en masse and um, ran the drills and there were some beautiful scenes watching them, you know, one-on-one working with little kids and adults and wonderful people aged in between and, um, yeah, and so Kate's thank you. Mom. Thank you to them. I know. I was going to say that was the favourite bit for me, my mum, because, um, yeah, thank you to the Box Hill girls. One of them in particular was very kind. She taught my mum, who I won't mention my mum's age, but, you know, she's she's older. She's she's probably not in contention for an AFLW <laughs> spot. Um, but one of the lovely women from the Box Hill Hawks taught my mum both how to handball and how to kick a footy. And my mum suffers uh, quite seriously from very bad rheumatoid arthritis and mm. and so she struggles a bit to do anything very active and so the, the lady from the Box Hill Hawks who helped her, whose name has escaped me for a moment so I apologise, but um, was really lovely. She she showed my mum how to how to use a technique that would, she would be able to do as she struggles oh, wow. to mark a footy with her hands and so on and I think my mum really enjoyed it and it was beautiful so thank you to her. And Lucy, what did you love? Well, the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't lie. You, you mainlined it. Yeah, I mainlined it. But no, I, I really enjoyed catching up with um, you know the people that we chat to on Twitter and other podcasters and people that we've had conversations with, but not in real life. I really enjoyed the in real life catch ups. Yeah, mm. Nicole. Oh, same. All of that. Everything they had, plus a bit more. I just well, I loved having a kick. Let's not kid ourselves. Could you walk there the next day, Nick? I could barely walk. <laughs> um, there was pain, and actually the day after, even worse. But. Um, um, but my torpedo I've got down, so that's more important. I was getting instructed by the awesome Mel Forge from North Melbourne who did attempt to sabotage the day, if you'll remember, with her drink she bottle. Did. Yeah, her water bottles. And international rep US player Kim Hemingway, which was like getting full-on instructions. It was really, really cool. But my absolute highlight was playing kick-to-kick with Mog from Dad and Mog podcast. She is a superstar and I cannot wait to get her autograph when she's playing AFLW. It's a (laughs) a thing. She's going to be a star. I did some accidental drop punt torpedoes. (laughs) You know know that thing, you should call your shots before you Mm. have a kick, Mm. that's for sure. And uh, talking to Brian Barish, of course, the AFL uh, rep in America, just so funny and Kim Hemingway, so many people. And I wore pants that were a bit too loose, so they started falling down and uh, my little son said, hey, mum, I can see your bum. So, <laughs> you mean he didn't yell, Dakin? So um, we've got a little package here of uh, some of the kick and coffee, and it's a mix of young and old who are all sharing the experience of what footy means to them.
I'm Kim Hemingway. Claudette Isabel Bing. I'm Cheryl Slocum. Brian Barish. Zadie. Can I chat to you? What's your name? Jasmine. Play for the U.S. Freedom. I was in the last International Cup, and then last year I played in the Sydney GWS exhibition game. One of the highlights of a 42-year high school teaching career, playing in a staff student football match at Thornbury High School, when I had a chance to kick a goal, and the head of PE, a very mad Irishman, wanted me to pass to him, and I didn't, and I kicked that goal. But if I hadn't, he would have killed me. AFLW sparked that love of football in a sense of it was sheer pure joy excitement a love of the game unencumbered by scandal what do you think girls can play as good as boys or better better <laughs> i was lucky enough to be here um, on that opening night with the lockout and it was one of the most amazing i get emotional just thinking about it i teared up had a fabulous fabulous time and i just got goosebumps before i even walked in luckily i was here early enough to get in sat with some Collingwood women who was three generations, a grandma, a daughter and her daughter. And um, the grandma was just in tears. She was so excited and just said it was one of the best things for women's sport ever and how she wished she'd had the chance to do it when she was a girl. We got the chance yesterday because they had the opening ceremony for the International Cup and uh, we got to walk around on the G and uh, the only other time my legs have gotten that wobbly was on my wedding day. <laughs> and you're just high-fiving all the, all the kids and everything and it's something I'll never forget. Who's the best player at Carlton? Uh... Sam Petrescu season. When my dad comes to the city, sometimes he yells really loudly and I find it really funny. How old are you? Three. And what jumper are you wearing? Number three. And who else is number three? Because Essendon didn't have a team, I wasn't sure if I was going to have a team at first. I thought maybe I'll just wait, but I thought, no, I need, I need to have a team. You've got to have a team. And I chose the Bulldogs. I didn't realise till it happened that I'd always had my favourite Melbourne players because I'm a rusted on demon supporter. But at that time, the shortest player was Lily Mithen. I knew nothing about her, so I decided I would be Lily Mithen. And it's just different. I can't pretend I'm Jack Watts. I couldn't even pretend I was Aaron Davey. I, I did, but it's not the same because I can ride every bump with Lily and imagine what it would be like. Oh, so good to hear the voices. And a big thank you to the Carlton Football Club, especially Luca. And a big thanks to Bronwyn, Cheryl, Brian, Kim, Luke, and all the young girls that we spoke to. It was so amazing. Now retirements. People are leaving us. I'm sad. It's been a big few weeks, isn't it's it? It's a bit of thing. Yeah. Yeah, we, so we've got Tom Boyd, um, Joe Watson, David Armfield. Um, Dennis. D David. Davis. I've got David to you. He's your buddy. <laughs> I call him Dave. <laughs> Dennis Armfield. What's his name? Um, and we've heard from Stevie J as well. So it's really interesting, I think, watching these players and the way in the last few weeks in particular, these players who have the choice, who feel like, you know, are embracing this opportunity and coming forward and, and de declaring early. It's been a really nice thing to see their videos and particularly <laughs> David, Dennis Armfield's um, one, which I encourage everyone to have a, a look at where mm -hmm. he tells them other players but it's I think it's really become a thing that and, and it's nice to see the contrast between perhaps last year where we had some 
retirements that didn't feel entirely voluntary. Mm-hmm. It's about a year. year. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But it's North a bumper North. crop. It is a and bumper crop. And it's made me think, you know, the grand final, how all of the retiring players go around out on the outside of the ground before. Mm. Yes. I mean, on the actual surface before they play the match. I'm wondering whether the AFL needs to hire like a road train yes. <laughs> to get them all to get them all on, cram them in. Yeah, instead well, of a little car, start a little bit early. Given yeah. that they're only retiring now, surely they could walk. Yeah, really. And they're not. They're not eighty. <laughs> it's not like Anzac Day. You, you've had some concerns about this from an OHS perspective for a while. Well, I haven't do. you sitting in the back of the car on I those do. seats like that are wobbly and wonky? And that's not okay seatbelts on. No, mm. that's not okay. But think about age, because. Really, we're getting old because Bob Murphy is the only player who was on the list before the turn of the century. So oh, that is wow. how old we are. We haven't heard any word about Bob, no. have we? No, I'm just saying. I'm just putting oh, it out there. Because yeah. I reckon there could be, well, I think we're going to see probably maybe even another half dozen. Yeah, there's a few more, aren't there, that before, have, yeah. up there. I've so. just got a, a visual now, Lucy, of that retirement train. The just, road train. Um, yeah, just tooting around the MCG, but I'm wondering Cattle whether truck? there could be... Thomas <laughs> whether, the Tank Engine. Whether there could, that's right, <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine. I'm wondering whether there would, you know, there'd be a bit of um, jostling for who would be the captain, you know, oh, wearing one of those little hats. Would it be Hodgie? <laughs> would it be Nick Sam yeah. Mitchell? Do you think they could put the sacked coaches in the caboose? <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of which, Eade. let's talk about the caboose because Rodney Ede, what are we thinking about that? Is it unceremonious to be dumped just a few weeks before the end of the season? I think he got ripped off big time. I think if you you look at their their stats that he he was handed a poison chalice there's major it seemed to be cultural problems at Gold Coast and it goes well beyond the coach and and the playing group so bless him um but somebody's going to be very lucky when they pick him up he's he's got a lot more to give football I think yeah I always feel I always do really feel for coaches who are sacked whether it's um sort of unceremoniously as you mentioned Alicia during the season or at the end of the season I mean at the end of the day of course these are people with families and bills to pay and children who go to school and you know as we've heard before sometimes kids can be pretty mean in the in the playground. So all of those personal aspects of it really spring to mind for me and I think it must be extraordinarily difficult and stressful to to be in that kind of situation. We wish him well, but as you say, Nicky, he will no doubt be picked up yep. somewhere else. And Joe Watson with his double denim call out this week by <laughs> Titus O'Reilly. Um, so what are we thinking of Joe? What can we say to him as we well, It's a bit of an end of an era, isn't it, at yeah. Essendon? If you look at the... I guess the the legacy of his dad and then him, um, they've been amazing for that club. And, you know, regardless of what you think about what's gone on recently, I think Job has always held himself in very high regard and um, I have no doubt that he will have a career wherever he wants Mm. it. And whether that's in football or whether he, he... Sounds like the cafe. Coffee's calling him back. I'm totally, I wrote down the name of it. I'm going there when I'm in, there in what New York. What is it? Hole it's in the wall, a hole in the wall yeah. in Manhattan, and I'm I'm going to be there. Job, see you there. <laughs> Flat that, white, thanks. Actually, we can have our next kick and coffee there. <laughs> That's yes. a good idea. Exactly. Oh, he could help us out. That would be the best. <laughs> From retirements to the ground, and there's concerns about MRP responses to tackling, and also lots of talk about a concussion. Lucy, what do you got for us? Yeah, absolutely. I I actually I'm. Gonna do a little clang name drop here. I saw Jerry Seinfeld. Oh. I was in the audience. Clang. I was going to say, what, did you have coffee with him? And he did this lovely little, I wish I did, <laughs> with 
Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, he did this lovely little joke about Australian rules football and said, you do know that they don't play it anywhere else. Like, I don't know why you need to call it Australian. Maybe we should just call it rules football. And I thought there's a few people who would actually agree with it being called rules football this week. And we've seen um, Brody Grundy be rubbed out for two weeks. And I feel like when you read sections of the media, it's a little bit like the sky is falling. You know, is this the end of the game? And I find it really problematic when people are talking about tackling and MRP and not really thinking about concussion and um, yeah. what, you know, why, why it's actually on the radar. BT had come out and said, I'm worried about the future of tackling. If we're going to jump at this and make rule changes because of all of a sudden we've had a spate of these head knocks, then, you know, what what's going on? It reminded me of, you know, that time a few years ago when everyone was worried about the bump. And you remember yes. when Buddy was rubbed out for that bump and everyone yep. was like, that was a, you know, yeah, it was, a, it was fine. It was, it, was fine. it was fine. Mm. And said, well, that's it. It's, it's going to be out of the game. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is that we're in a period where the AFL and the people who, in terms of the rules of the game, are looking at how we actually change things to protect the head, which I think is a really good yeah. thing yeah. and and something that, that has to be taken into account. What's really interesting is to, in both the Dangerfield and the Grundy tackle, there is a situation where they, they kind of led with the player's head. Mm. Yes. And... I just don't think that's... There's room for that. There's room yeah. for that. And, I mean, there's so much research at the moment, mm. that, that most recent piece coming out of the NFL, the, the research about how it's not even about concussions, it's sub-concussion, you know, there's the the impact to the head in mm. these contact sports is having an, an extremely permanent effect and that the... Is it ETC? Is that what it's called? CTE. CTE. CTE, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the reality for a lot of people is that they're going to be stuck with this mm. for the rest of their lives and um, having a look at the results of that were pretty confronting. And I thought what was really interesting is that the NFL, which had funded this research, actually hasn't coughed up the money. They, I think they have been somewhat startled by the results given that of the... 111 NFL players' brains that were studied, 110 mm. had evidence of um, brain damage. That's um, a dangerous workplace. Absolutely. That is a dangerous workplace. And, of course, it's a distorted, you know, these are these are people who were obviously had concerns and that's why their brains were donated. And there's all of that to factor in. And there's still lots more to do. But I do think the fact that the NFL's distancing themselves from this research is indicative of, of a very big problem. And I think the AFL has, you know, needs to yeah. be watching and, and and spending some time and money on this. I think, you know, when we, when we think about people being, if we bring it back to AFL, when we talk about people being rubbed out of the game these days, it's quite a different environment to, you know, a decade ago mm. where you were suspended and, and it reflected perhaps on your character. Yeah. Um, it may have been, you know, something that was, you know, really quite unsavoury. Mm. And I think what we're seeing is a is that tension between a game that is, is very, very physical and also trying to protect players. And so mm. I think we're in a funny little period of, of flux, I guess, in yeah. trying to sort out how the best way forward is. I'm really encouraged to see that the next generation of players are being taught slightly different tackling techniques in terms of actually just dropping straight you know yeah. you can still pin pin the arms but you're dropping straight down like someone's a dead weight rather than having any forward momentum yes you've got to weigh up too you know you, you, 
is you know missing a couple of games or potentially damaging yeah. somebody for the rest of their lives. Like I just, it's a no-brainer. The yeah. brain is sacrosanct. The head is it's a no-brainer. <laughs> the head is sacrosanct as it should be. It's amazing our reptilian brains, isn't it? Because just going to the footy recently, and there's still people clutching onto little kids or whatever who shout, "Hit him!" It's just that that response of punch him, hit him, you know. It's, it's just this Dak. Yeah, that's me saying yeah. Dak him. But um, it, it, it's funny that they do that. There was a, an amazing article in The Guardian by Martha Kellner on athlete exploitation and abuse this week. I mean... Yeah. What an article. It was. It was absolutely fascinating. And in a way, it ties into some of what you've just been talking about, although perhaps in in quite a different sense. Um, Yeah, this caught my eye. And and what it was, it was a special investigation by The Guardian. Uh, We'll put it out there on our social media so that people can have a read of it because it's well worth it. But essentially what it was about was the practice that's been developing over a number of years where certain countries will try and effectively poach really talented athletes from other countries to get them to come over, become citizens and then compete for them in global competitions like the Olympics in the hope that they can uh, in that way then you know win gold medals and and so on and often the, the athletes who spoke to the Guardian about their experiences claimed that they had been promised all kinds of supports that they would earn an, an income quite a modest income actually but earn an income and be supported and given housing and so on if they moved to those countries and then said that it didn't eventuate some of those Countries and sporting organisations deny that these practices are underway, so it's important to mention that. But the the athletes who who said that this had been happening to them, a couple of them likened their experiences to slavery, which was just um, and and many of them were from poorer nations or African nations who were trying to really make a name for themselves or kind of get ahead in their lives. So it was really really disturbing reading. The other thing that they spoke about was that they said that not only had they gone to these countries and those countries had not delivered on their promises and so they were living essentially in kind of destitute conditions and and almost as slaves where they then had to you know go off from competition to competition and compete but that they were also given all kinds of um, drugs uh, performance enhancing drugs or other drugs like testosterone was one that was mentioned and just told that they had to take them and felt very found it very difficult to refuse um, and so this article, It was very troubling in its own right, but started to raise for me a number of questions about how we think about the rights of players, the right to be free from exploitation, the right to move around, but but in a way, you know, from country to country, but in a way that's protective and supportive and also the right to health. And so uh, in that sense, we come to our guest for this week, who actually is an expert who's looking at all of these issues as a whole. So Lucy and I this week had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to Professor Sarah Joseph. And Sarah's Maybe well known to many of our listeners. Uh, she's a professor in law at my workplace, Monash University. And Sarah is also the director of the Caston Centre for Human Rights Law. And Caston Centre is really one of the world's leading, most prestigious human rights centres. Sarah's an expert in a range of different human rights areas. She looks at things like the relationship between human rights and business, trade and the death penalty. But she also is very creative and that's one of the things I love about her work because she looks at the relationship between human rights, law and art. And recently she's been starting to think about these issues in relation to sport. So she's writing a book at the moment about human rights and sport. She's a really passionate sports fan, a mad North Melbourne supporter. She absolutely loves them. So Lucy and I had a fantastic wide-ranging chat with Sarah. So tell us about your love of sport, Sarah. Where does it come from? 
Uh, it's it's hard to say. Um, what I would say is I think sport is um, probably the be- best reality TV. And I don't know of any other activity that brings a whole lot of people, particularly strangers, together so emotionally that, you know, in, re- in reaction to, you know, some outcomes, they'll be partying in the street or there'll be distress in the street. Uh, if we go, you know, way back to my childhood, I guess I do remember, I actually remember the Munich Olympics on TV. Obviously, the Munich Olympics were highly problematic mm. with the terrorist mm. attack. But I also do remember, you know, some good bits Um my uh, family, particularly my brother, was quite into swimming, so I was entranced by Mark Spitz um, with his seven gold medals. And I even remember uh, we're also a family which engaged in politics a lot, and just um, uh, when I was thinking about this question, uh, you know, even sport in the Cold War, and the one, one thing that came to mind was um, Bobby Fischer and um, Boris Spassky. Mm. So even chess it's can chess. be exciting. <laughs> So and of course there was the 1977 grand final. Ah uh, yes. Oh yes, you as a North Melbourne supporter, of course. Sarah, one of the things that we want to talk to you today, or what we really want to talk to you about today, in the main, is human rights and sport. And so there are literally dozens of issues in sport that raise human rights concerns. And because we don't have time to go through all of them today, although we would love to, we wanted to try and just pull out a couple of specific issues and get your take on human rights and how it might apply to sport. I guess the first one is that a, a quite topical one, and that is that in recent months we've been watching this really extraordinary standoff unfold between cricketers, the Cricketers Union in Australia and the peak body, which is Cricket Australia. And I know that some people um, have been arguing that really what that was about was Cricket Australia trying to break apart the players' union. Can you tell us how human rights might be relevant here and how you saw that whole process unfold? Yeah, Sure. Uh, From a human rights perspective, there is a right to freedom of association and that includes a right to join a trade union to fight for your own working rights. And obviously that's been a very important right for workers everywhere for, you know, 150 to 200 years. But what's interesting is in sport, um, including Australian sport, it actually has a much more recent history. Um, Say at the turn of the the 20th century, even well into the 20th century, um, athletes were often sort of seen as almost the property of their teams Mm. and that was felt to be quite normal. And, you know, other, other, um, other employee relationships certainly were not seen like that. So athletes' unions are actually pretty recent and athletes players if you like are also very vulnerable employees there's a lot of power differentials you know the young player versus the club or versus the league Uh, they have most of the time a very short career it can be cut short at any time by injury Uh, sometimes they're not so educated because they've spent so much time training to become athletes and so players associations or players unions have been crucial in, in winning rights and winning proper employment rights for players um, and forging actual rights, including minimum wage. And in this case, revenue sharing. Revenue sharing was the key to that dispute between uh, the Cricketers and Cricket Australia. And you're right, it seemed to me that Cricket Australia was trying to divide the players. First of all, the men from the women, mm. and then later the stars from the ones who don't get paid so much. And I think they were very surprised that that didn't succeed, that the cricketers actually stuck together. They even stuck together after they stopped getting paid. And uh, in the end, um, from my point of view, it seems that Cricket Australia has caved completely. Yeah, and the players' union um, has has triumphed. It was fascinating Mm. to watch it unfold. Sarah, in international human rights law, we often talk about the right to health. 
Do sports people have a right to health and how does that apply to something like, say, the Essendon drug saga or something that's quite topical at the moment, talk about concussion around the NFL? All of us have a right to health. Um, I won't go into all of the details mm. of that. It's quite a complex right. But that right is threatened. I would say it's breached when you're administered injections under the authority of your club and then that club can't later tell you what you've actually been um, administered. Um, I think that, for me, is the most shocking aspect about what happened at Essendon. Um, for me, I think that's worse than the performance-enhancing element. Um, the right... Um, to health is, is in fact it seems like the basis of the claim that Nathan Lovett Murray may well is, is reportedly um, thinking of bringing against the club mm. that he's claiming that those injections um, have perhaps led to health issues with his daughter. You mentioned concussion and I would say yeah concussion particularly in the American NFL uh, that's an even worse issue. Uh, we are now generally much more aware of concussion in contact sports and it can lead to a type of brain damage called CTE, which is absolutely frightening in terms mm. of its symptoms and in terms of when, it, when you get the onset, which is in your 30s and 40s rather than you know, much later mm. in life. And it seems particularly bad in the NFL because that game um, just naturally involves more head clashes. Yeah. You clearly get head clashes in the AFL and the <coughs> NRL, but they're against the rules. That's mm. not actually what's supposed to happen. Um, CTE can't actually be diagnosed without sectioning the brain, which means it cannot be diagnosed mm. yet until after death. So we don't know the extent of it in the NFL or in other codes, but recent estimates are that for up to 40% of NFL players could have this disease. And just a few weeks ago, Boston University uh, released the... Um, the outcome of a study, they were examining um, the brains of 111 deceased NFL players. 110 of them had CTE. Mm. And they did the same thing with some college players and 91% of them had CTE. Now, that selection was not random because the, they were given permission by the families who actually suspected that the deceased had um, brain damage. But clearly those are extremely awful and worrying statistics. And amongst all that... I think it seems that the NFL tried to cover this up mm. and I don't think it's ridiculous to compare that to what tobacco industry tried to do. And I think that uh, displayed a woeful disregard for player welfare. And the question now is, you know, where to? Um, you know, will, you know, in my view, the rules have to change. Mm. They have to do more than just manage concussion. They have to stop, to try to stop concussions from happening. But I don't know... If that's going to happen, I mean, NFL is the most popular sport in America. It's a multi-billion dollar product. And there's just doesn't seem to be a lot of pressure to change it, um, you know, from either fans or from the government. I guess in the future you might get, you will get pressure from players and you'll probably get pressure from the parents of prospective players. But, um, you know, and you even see that sort of attitude a little bit in the, NF, uh, in the AFL. Mm. I think the AFL's been quite good in handling concussion, but you're hearing a lot of commentators say, oh, that's soft. Mm. You know, I think I saw a tweet, I can't remember which reporter, but, you know, the whole issue about Patrick Dangerfield. We seem more concerned about his Brownlow rather than Matthew Cruz's brain. And yeah. that's, that's kind of wrong. Yeah, I know. And I think part of the point you're making, Sarah, is that it's really important to think about um, what happens with players in terms of a human rights framework and that players have rights, including the right to health, and, and that those rights need to be protected. I wonder if we can stick with the Essendon saga just mm -hmm. for a moment. 
This has obviously been one of the most controversial sagas in Australian sporting history. Mm. But um, one and with Joe Watson retiring just yesterday. Yeah, that's mm. right. That's right. He had a lot to say about um, the impact of that on him, which I thought was really interesting. But one of the most controversial aspects of the whole Essendon saga was the way that the WADA tribunal process played out. Mm. I wonder if you can share your thoughts and reflections on this. Did, did you feel that the WADA process was a fair one? Do you think that it's compliant with human rights and... Do you have any observation, other observations to make? Okay, there's sort of two aspects to this. One is the issue to do with the Court of Arbitration for Sport in that it is the final arbiter on this issue. The Essendon players didn't have the opportunity to resolve this in Australian courts like most employees would. And, look... I I haven't done, you know, an extensive study of every decision by the CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, um, so I can't tell you whether I actually believe that its process is fair or not. But what is a bit strange is that the Essendon players, and as well as athletes all over the world, they have to sign away their right to access courts. And they don't have a choice. If they want to play in the AFL, their contract dictates, well, if a um, doping issue comes up, you have to go, it has to be resolved by CAS. Um, I mean, it, it gets resolved at the first instance by some AFL tribunal, but then ultimately it can go to CAS. And neither the AFL tribunal or CAS is an actual court. I mean, it's called the Court of Arbitration mm. for Sport, but it's not a court. And so it's a private arbitral body. So it's a little bit strange. I mean, you and I and, you know, in our jobs, if we have a dispute, ultimately we can go to court. The Essendon players could not. And, and it's not just the Essendon players, it's athletes all over the world. So I find that... A little strange. Yep. WADA itself, uh, I think, does have issues um, because the whole WADA process, the drug you know, testing process, there's a lot of departures from due process in that regime that we don't normally tolerate in other areas of life. So strict liability, mm-hmm. uh, mandatory sentences, regardless of what sport you're in, regardless of what stage of your career you might be at. Um, a bar, well, barring of access to courts, which I just mentioned, massive invasions of privacy. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, throughout the whole off season, they have to know where you are. If they stuff it up, it's kind of your fault. And that kind of stuff, Sarah, we hear about of players being in the shower at five o'clock in the morning and having a knock on the door mm. and having to be having to agree to let people in mm. into their homes, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, WADA also regulates um, some you know some substances which are not performance enhancing. I mean, this is you know, for example, recreational drugs. I'm not really sure why that's WADA's business. Um, and then again, that and that all gets subject to, you know, this very, very strict regime. Now, I have to investigate this whole thing more. I'm only at the very beginning of writing this book. But I have to investigate it more to decide, okay, is that a breach of human rights? At the very least, it's a massive interference with human rights. But it's very suspect in my view. And what what I do find interesting is that we, the public, just accept it. You know, we don't question WADA. We're happy for it to just exercise more and more draconian regime. Every time there's some sort of drug scandal, WADA just simply wants more power. Isn't it time to question the competence of WADA itself? Yeah, mm. it's an interesting point too because, you know, listening to you talk about the Essendon saga, it seems to me that there are two things going on here that really touch upon the kinds of concerns that people raised publicly. That is, on the one hand, that players' right to health did appear to be have been breached. Mm. But then when it came to dealing with that in a regulatory sense, there were other breaches as well of players' right to due process and, mm. and so on. So in every respect, I think the players... Um, 
really suffered throughout that entire saga. Well, it's interesting. Essendon got fined $200,000 for an OHS breach, which is nothing compared to the amount they were fined by the AFL itself for bringing the game into disrepute. I'd actually reverse those fines. Yeah, uh, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe you know, maybe the 200000 was too low, but, you know, I, that OHS breach is one of the worst I've ever heard of. In what universe is it okay that you cannot tell your players what you gave them? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We often, um, you know, hear about the need for players to forgo some of these rights because they're highly paid role models. I get the impression that you might be worried about the players' rights being trampled and I'm wondering whether you think we sometimes get the balance a bit wrong. Uh, yes, I do think we get the uh, balance wrong. Um, Kate would know I'm not a great fan of the role model argument. <laughs> I'm not a great fan of, you know, if you like, the freedoms of adults, uh, you know, when they're, you know, out in town, going out to dinner, going to a pub or something. In or, their you know, private or, life. Yeah, in their private life, yeah. getting restricted by what children might think about what they do. Mm. I mean, I can reflect when I was a kid, uh, who were our role models. And I think in those days, for my generation, it was people on Countdown. Yep. And they were all wasted. And I, well, okay, that's probably a bit defamatory, but okay, let's, let's just say... We that don't they know were, what episode it was. Yeah, we, we can say that they weren't the most clean living people. And frankly, I think we knew that, or a lot of us mm. knew that. And my generation hasn't grown up to be this terrible generation influenced by, mm. you know, people on Countdown. I think we might underestimate children. They might find it fun if player X goes out and gets drunk, does it really? Do we really think they're going to go out and replicate? Um, I think that's problematic. Uh, you mentioned the fact that they're highly paid. Yes, they might be highly paid by sponsors, and it can be part of a sponsorship agreement mm. that you must, um, you know. Uh, abide by certain levels of behaviour. But that's a contractual issue between a player and their sponsor. Why, sorry, do I care about that? Do you think it's part of sport being so powerful? Is it something that we're doing that we're putting these people up as role models? Yes, I mean, we are. Um, I don't know, you know, it's a kind of chicken and egg situation because mm. we do... I mean, sport was big when I was a kid. It's mm. been big for a very long time. I do think the role model thing may be being driven by commercial incentives that, you know, for example, the AFL is no longer this A the AFL, this game we love. It's a way of life. Mm. But that's ridiculous. I mean, it's just the AFL. And let's just go and live our own lives. I just sort of... And, and ultimately what lies behind that is a whole lot of sponsors who want to associate themselves with, you know, this this beautiful life thing. And it's like, no, they're corporations and they might be engaging in slave labour in some, you know, developing country somewhere. And, you know, have a look at that rather than a player getting drunk on a Saturday night. So where does thinking about sport in this way leave us? Do we need a stronger human rights focus in sport, do you think? Or how might this work? I think we do. Um, I mean, when I was talking about WADA before, I guess I alluded to the fact that the general public seems to find, you know, oh, the WADA process and the invasions of privacy, that's fine. We don't really care a lot about it. Um, just as another example, there's a lot of restrictions on the working rights of players. You think if you're a first-year draftee, you have to pay for the team that picks you. Mm -hmm. And you can't play for another team. That's actually extremely restrictive. So there's a lot of restrictions on rights which we just put up with. 
Um, now, a friend of mine, a guy called Brendan Schwab, who's now the head of Unisport Pro, which is a major world union for athletes across countries and across sports, he uh, gave a talk for the Caston Centre a few years ago, and he put he explained this um, in his view that he said was down to something he called the mystique of sport, that we love sport, but in that love we actually sort of demand things of the players and the athletes which might be sort of unrealistic. Like, we want them to do it for the love of the game. We don't want them to do it for money. And I did see some articles about the cricketers disappointed that they wanted more money, which I thought, but that's ridiculous. I mean, everyone in every job kind of wants more money. Why are they different? <laughs> um, there's this... I'm sorry, I find it nonsense. There's always this argument that Bernard Tomic and, um, and Kyrgios have let us down. How have they let me down? I don't even know them. They don't know me. So I just think I can be disappointed that they lost or whatever, but this whole, you know, we, we almost take it too personally and demand more of them. Now, I know they get paid a lot, but remember, that's only the top ones who get paid. Uh, you know, the average wage in sport is probably far less than we really know. Mm. And then, of course, that's male sport. I mean, if you go into a female mm. sport, that's uh, really very low paid. So I think, you know, there, you know, the mystique of sport, unfortunately, um, the athletes might buy into it as well. But I think it, it leads to unrealistic expectations and it can also lead to the public wanting some unattainable, well, some ideal that maybe never existed but is really mm -hmm. unattainable now and blinds us to the very real human rights issues that actually exist. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we'll have to have a look at your book, Sarah, when it comes out because um, obviously there's enormous value in bringing human rights lens to, to sport in this country and others. So thank you very much for joining us on The Outer Sanctum. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks very much, Sarah, for a fascinating discussion. It was really wonderful to talk to her. And... We need a follow-up to the great boundary line scandal. Nicole Hayes, you got any <laughs> info on that? There was a bit of chatter about that. I obviously... Well, okay, so we had one tweet. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a passionate one. But your, actually, husband, your husband was really delighted that you had given this some air time. He was chuffed. Yeah. He was positively hey, chuffed. He'll be, he'll be dining out on that one for a while, I think. <laughs> but thanks to Chris for highlighting a tackle over the boundary, that the Hawthorne Tigers match, um, that was paid as a high tackle to Hawthorne, I, it was rudely pointed out. The ball was clearly over the line. Unless that's not really my point about the boundary, but I, I do, you know, the the idea of the dead ball and, and starting is what I'm, you know, starting from outside the boundary. and say, I saw that, and that started in the field of play. So the ball, I it did reckon. start in the field of play. Yeah, I mean, okay. you know, I had my Hawthorne goggles on, but <laughs> whatever. He had a photograph that was fairly compelling. But he, he, <laughs> yeah, a photograph, <laughs> one moment in time. Sorry, Chris. Oh, we need, we need to news. have a conciliation over this. I was hoping to generate a little bit more conversation so people get in there about the boundary line. I think it's an outrage. It's going to be a grand final one or lost on the back of this, and we have not settled it. Boundary watch. Boundary yes, watch. So please, please, get into it. We please all need our right areas in. of interest now. Nicole. How's all your other boundaries going, girls? I'm pushing them yeah. on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting mine up. Now, Kate, there's some funny laws with the game. What do you think? There have. I've been inspired in recent weeks by the work of, of all of you in going away legally and having blonde. a look at... That's right, the legally blonde phenomenon of going and having a look at the rules. And so I have done this over the last little while. I went and, I went and sat down and read some of the rules and what I discovered was that there are a number of hilarious rules of the game and so I just wanted to share or hilarious or bizarre just kind of rules that you might not know are in there and I wanted to um 
just share a couple of them with you. Um, so, Set it up for us. What's yeah. the scene? <laughs> so we're getting ready to In play. In 1920... <laughs> sorry. No. Okay, first of all, Rule 9.2, that's the rule that deals with the prohibition of items, various things that you can't Ham. Uh, wear during the match. <laughs> well, <laughs> believe it or not, ham is not on there. But that, but that would not be... Yet. Well, that explains it. That would be an addition. <laughs> Kevin Bartlett or whoever's on the rules of the game get committee, it. get on to it. Um, so one of the things I noticed is that a player shall not wear during a match any form of jewellery. Mm. Okay, it's kind of like when we friendship played friendship bracelet, <laughs> netball. Nothing. I know it's like when you played netball as a kid. But what I became quite interested in is the way that this escalates. This can escalate this kind of tiny little rule. And so there is a power in in Rule 9.4.1 for a field umpire to order from the playing surface a player who is wearing or using an item that is prohibited. And then under 9.4.2, if a player refuses or does not immediately leave the playing surface when ordered to do so, one of the things that can happen is that the match shall immediately end and their team Ooh. forfeits the match. So things oh, can wow. really kind of get out of hand. That escalates quickly. Like, yeah. Take Could that ham. Could you not take something onto the field and yes, put it on another losing. player? It's a good point, Lucy. But, but they would get it off straight away. Well, they might not know. know. Pop a little bracelet on. A little anklet. So that was the first thing. I was just surprised. <laughs> how, <laughs> toe ring. <laughs> it makes me wonder, though, like, you know, there's little <laughs> GPS trackers yeah. in the back of their jumpers. Surely they're as dangerous as a <clears throat> to other players as a piece of jewellery wow. or something. This is interesting. Oh, yeah. I love it. Keep I know, well, going, Kate. This is what, look, fascinating. Yes, you sound surprised, Nicole. Like I might not have brought something that was interesting to the totally. pod. Jeez, I'm offended. Okay, this is, this is the rule that really, this is the rule that I loved. 15.8.1. That's my favourite too. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's long been my favourite. Mm. I'm getting a tattoo of it actually. <laughs> So a free kick shall be awarded against a player or an official who intentionally shakes a goal or a behind post. Oh, oh. Lee Matthews, watch out. Exactly. No, he I didn't feel mean that it. I've seen oh, this happen before. I he feel did it with his head. I feel. But <laughs> in a way, don't you think that every time a player ha- has a shot on goal or shot at goal, what we've talked about, mm. what's the proper phrasing before, that hits the goal post? Isn't that an intentional? No. Isn't that an aff- No, they don't mean it. <laughs> no. I love Prior. the idea of someone wobbling the goalpost, though, and yeah, trying so to distract I. them. I think that's awesome. So do I. Um, <laughs> okay, two more quick rules that, that I just loved. 15.10.1, subsection C. So this is a, a free kick shall be awarded against a player or a team where the field umpire is of the opinion that a player has lifted a player or climbed onto the shoulders of a player from the same team. (gasps) You mean there's a rule against my whole concept of building a pyramid in the square? (laughs) Exactly. What about the other team? And what about a contested mark when they go up in a pack? You don't know whose shoulders you're on. That's right. No, this is not against Specky. You know they did this in netball? Did you see this in netball? So, you know, you try to put your hand over the shot of the goal attack or the goal shooter and there was a game a year ago where a player got down on her hands and knees and acted as a stepladder for the goalkeeper oh. to stand on her back. 
That's fantastic. <laughs> and what happened? Did awesome. she get away with it? Yep, she got away. <gasps> I think she got away with it. Wow. So you she wouldn't have the answer to that if you're going to call that story. Well, I, I didn't know we were going to talk about <laughs> it. Wouldn't have. If... Any more rules there? Kate? Okay. And my final rule. This is this is my actual favourite. Fifteen point twelve point one. Payment of free kick is what it's called, where a player intentionally, recklessly, or negligently kicks or causes the football to hit any part of a stadium roof's structure, which is above the playing surface. The, the umpire shall uh, award a free kick. And so it made me think about That's the notion of being kicking at the highest point. I mean, that, it's that rule is very ruled. specifically directed at one stadium. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? yeah. There is only one with a roof. God, if you awesome. kick the top of Eddie Head, surely you deserve a gold medal. That's yeah. a big kick. I think you should get extra points for that's that. That's right. Yeah. That, so that's the kicking at the highest point rule um, and, and it's perhaps why it is that we don't see the football hitting the stadium roof structure as often as we might have thought. Because they all know. Yeah. They all know. They've I'm all sure had they a briefing know 15.12.1. Right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realise it was a rule but there it is. Thank you. Rule Watch will come back there is no doubt and give us your rules please write to us. We always love hearing from you from our, on our social medias. Now you've all had a little time to think. Felicity has done the math and she's got her top eight just sitting there warming up in the oven. Nicole what are you thinking? All right. Who's going to win? I actually called this a few weeks ago. I might have have to modify it. So I'm going to go a S- Sydney Adelaide Ooh. with a win to Sydney, but outside chance Sydney Cats. Yes, okay. I know. I know. Don't look at me like that. Meow. Lucy, I'm going to call it. I'm going to say it's going to be an Adelaide Richmond grand final. And the Pollyanna in me is going to say Richmond. Oh, it's wow. your time. Okay. Arise. Yeah. I'd love that. Okay. Peggy, you're listening. That's for you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying since the start of the year that I thought Adelaide would do the rare AFLW, yeah. AFLM yeah. double. I still think that they are in the box seat, but of course my I would love to see Richmond win. Mm. So maybe an Adelaide Richmond final. But then the cataclysm happens. So you said that from day one. Uh, I think Adelaide, but I'm, I'd love something like Saints Melbourne or Saints oh Richmond. God. I know. I'm a dreamer. Crazy. Such a dreamer. Uh. But I do love Adelaide as well. Just really quickly wanted to oh, mention. Felicity, 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 Again, so I, I think it's Adelaide all the way this year. I can't see anyone beating anyone them. Anyone beating? I'm going to go a roughie. Not Jared Ruffhead is no. Jared Ruffhead. I'm going a Jordan Ruffhead. A complete roughie. I'm going to oh. back the Bulldogs. Wow. You know, what? I know. Not for any reason based on football, but based on heart. They just oh. need another go and Bob needs to be there for one. And but they're going to lose, don't you think? What? The- do you think the Bulldogs are losing? Look at you all looking at me. <laughs> so why would they want him to lose one? Like, that's mean. Yeah. She's cruel. No. You really are going for Adelaide, aren't you? No, I'm not Sydney. I, I would love to win. see a Adelaide Bulldogs grand final. I have no interest in watching Adelaide play Geelong or Sydney or any of those big powerhouse teams. I what want about to see Richmond? I just don't see Richmond making it there. Where do no, the Bulldogs fit in beforehand. your top eight? Oh, somewhere. Right. She didn't no, do it in order. Sorry, I just thought you did it in order. No. Um, just quickly, the International Cup is being played and it has been since August 5th. So for more information, go to afl.com.au. And International Cup, there's been some great reporting on that online. So it sounds amazing. And the final is Saturday, August 19th. So that's really exciting. Oh, and those grand finals are going to be played as curtain raisers to yes. AFL games. Nice. Yes. Nice. That so. is 
so keep a watch out yeah. for that. And I thought, in love for Emma, who will no doubt be back next week, can we sing a song? We are family or something? Oh, sure. Yes, sure. Why not? take it off. Kick it off. Do yeah. you want me to do it as yeah. Celine? Let's do that. I don't know if I can do it as Celine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, let's go. We are family. Hey, yeah. Come I on. got all my sisters with me. Except Woo! Emma. <laughs> we are family. Except for something. <laughs> <laughs> it's goodbye from us. Go football. Woo-hoo. Bye. See ya. See ya.